Father, now we turn to your word. We pray that your word will be established in our hearts so we'll have a hope and answer not only for ourselves, but anyone that we come across, Almighty God, knowing that your word is faithful and true and you'll accomplish all that you desire in and through your word. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Continuing now on the series of Yeshua's emissaries of Shalakim, out of Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Praise be unto God. Rav Shaul is truly standing as a witness to the God Most High in the revelation of who his son is, Yeshua. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Beginning here at verse number one. Three days after Festus had entered the providence, he came up, came up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. There the head koinim, the high priest, and the Judean leaders informed him of the case against Shaul, the apostle Paul. They asked him to do them a favor by having the man sent to Jerusalem, for they had plotted to have him ambushed and killed en route. Festus replied that Shaul was being kept under guard in Caesarea and that he was about to go there shortly himself. So he said, let competent men among you come down with me and press charges against the man if he has done something wrong. After staying with them at most eight or ten days, Festus went down to Caesarea. And for some of us that have never been to Jerusalem, which I've never have been, but every, everyone that lives in the land of Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. And whether if you go to the north, the south, the east, or the west, you go down to these other areas because that is a city where God has placed his own name upon. And if you ever go to the city of Jerusalem, you have to go up to the city. So going forward here, verse 6, After staying with them at most eight or ten days, Festus went down to Caesarea, and on the following day he took his seat in the court, and he ordered Shaul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Judean leaders who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Notice that. These are just simply accusations upon accusations. In reply, Shaul said, I have committed no offense not against the Torah, to which the Jews hold, not against the temple, and not against the emperor. But Festus, wanting to do the Judean leaders a favor, asked Shaul, Would you be willing to go up to Jerusalem and be tried before me there on these charges? Shaul replied, I am standing right now, in the court of the emperor, and this is where I should be tried. 
I have done no wrong to the Judean leaders, as you very well know. If I am a wrongdoer, if I have done something for which I deserve to die, then I am ready to die. But if there is nothing to these charges which they are bringing against me, no one can give me to them just to grant a favor. I appeal to the emperor. Then Festus, after talking with his advisors, answered, You have appealed to the emperor? You will go to the emperor. After some days, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were staying on there for some time, Festus had an opportunity to acquaint the king with Shaul's situation. There's a man here, he said, who was left behind by, in custody by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the head coinim, the high priest, and the elders of the Judeans informed me about him and asked me to pronounce judgment against him. My answer to them was that it was not the custom with the Romans to give up an accused man just to grant a favor. But he has met his accusers face to face and had the opportunity to defend himself against the charge. So when they arrived here with me, I did not delay, but took my seat in the court the next day and ordered the man brought in. When the accuser stood up, instead of charging him with some serious crime, as I had expected, they simply disputed with him about certain points of their own religion, and particularly about somebody called Yeshua, who had died, but who Shaul claimed was alive. Being at lost as to how to investigate such questions, I asked him if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried on these matters there. But since Shaul appeared to be kept in custody and have his case decided by his imperial majesty, I ordered him held until I could send him to the emperor. Agrippa said to Festus, I myself have been wanting to hear the man. Tomorrow, he replied, you will hear him. So the next day, King Agrippa and Bernice came with much pageantry. They entered the audience room accompanied by military commanders and prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Shaul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all of you here with us, do you see this man? The whole Judean community has complained about, has complained to me about him, both in Jerusalem and here, crying that he shouldn't be allowed to remain alive. But I discovered that he had done nothing that deserves the death sentence. For when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. However, I have nothing specific to write to his majesty about him. This is why I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, 
So after we have examined him, I might have something to write. It seems irrational to me to send a prisoner without also indicating what the charges are against him are. A lot of, a lot of political in, intrigue is, is happening in the life of Rav Shaul. You would think that the high priest of the nation of Israel and the Judean leaders would truly want to hear and, 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 and to, to encourage him. But since there's a veil over their eyes, just as Rav Shaul was one blind, once blinded to the fullness and the revelation of who Yeshua Jesus is, but here, as a rebuke, literally, Rav Shaul is standing up. He's calling into account both the high priest and the Judean leaders. Because they cannot deny that this Yeshua, who was once crucified and laid in the grave for three days, that he did not rise again. And notice in the former chapters where Yeshua himself appeared to Rav Shaul and said to him, don't be alarmed, do not be fearful. I'm going to send you to be my witness in Rome. So this was all the Lord's provision for him to accomplish. And that Rav Shaul knew, Rav Shaul knew in the depths of his heart he was fulfilling Abba, Father God's will. And if he was even willing to lay down his life as a living, breathing testimony of being transformed by Messiah Yeshua, an example to both the high priests, the Judean leaders, and everyone, even to the nations. But there was certain protocol. He knew that he could not find justice, true justice, righteous justice that God wanted to mete out upon him could not be done through the Sanhedrin, through the officiating and the watchful eye of the high priest. And so he had to appeal now to the secular, to the world, because many of us don't realize how oppressive the Roman government was at that time. So I'd like to give you a little bit of background about these Caesars. Where do we come up with this name Caesar? It is a title of Roman emperors in scripture. It is also a symbol of secular authority. The word Caesar here is derived from the family of Julius Caesar himself, who lived from 101 to 44 before the common era, before Messiah was born, and who was the uncle of Rome's first emperor. And what was his name? Augustus. You don't think that, that Rome even has influence on us today? Do, don't we have a month of the year that we call August? How did that come about? By honoring the name of that emperor. Now going forward here. The name Caesar was perpetuated into the 20th century. Even the titles of some countries 
What is Russia's main leader uh, prior to communism taking over? But the czar, that word comes from Caesar. Going forward here, another name that, that is used in Germany. What did they call their leader, their supreme leader? But the Kaiser. So these are all portions that were part or incorporated descendants of the original Roman Empire as they conquered other, other lands and other nations. Going forward here, a little bit more details. Yeshua once showed his critics a coin and said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and what is to God is God. That is found in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. When it was questioned, should they honor the temple tax, or should they honor and render to Caesar? Yeshua said, show me a coin. He says, whose image is on this? And those that were, were assembled there said, that's Caesar. And he said, so therefore, that which belongs to Caesar, give to Caesar. And that which belongs to God, give to God. Yeshua was saying this, it's fine for the governments that he's established and allowed to, to rule and reign over people, to, to pay taxes to them. But our true allegiance, our heartfelt allegiance should be to Father God himself. So going forward here with all this, the New Testament mentions several Caesars. Augustus Caesar ruled when Messiah was born. That's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Tiberius Caesar, he ruled and reigned after, the, after Yeshua had died between 14 and 37. He held power in Rome during Messiah's adult life. That's found in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. The fanatic called Caliglia, whom scripture does not even mention, succeeded Tiberius and ruled for many years. His successor was Claudius Caesar. He ruled from 41 through 54 and gave an order deporting all Jews from Rome. Remember that when we went through the, for the, through the book of Acts in chapter 18, verse 2? Forcing both Priscilla and Quilla to move to Corinth. Another Caesar, his name was Nero. He uh, ruled between 54 and 68, although unnamed in the Bible. Was a Caesar when Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen to appeal to the emperor. And that's where we find us today in Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Nero was the first emperor to be distinguished between Christians and Jews, blaming Christians for the disastrous fire in Rome. When did this take place? But AD 64. He launched his first official Roman persecution against the body of believers, the church. And tradition shows, this is only tradition, that both uh, Peter and Paul were executed near the end of Nero's reign. Later, the next Caesar that came to power, his name was Vespasian. And he ruled between the years 69 and 79 and was in the middle of the war against the Judean rebels when his troops proclaimed him to be a new Caesar in the year 
A.D. 69. He left his son Titus to destroy Jerusalem, as was a fulfillment of the prophecy that Yeshua gave in Matthew 24 and crushed the rebellion. Titus, who ruled and reigned as Caesar from 79 through 81, succeeded his father as emperor and was followed by his brother Domitian, who ruled between AD 81 and 96. Domitian launched the second major persecution against all believers and was responsible for exiling both the apostle John to Patmos, which is the setting for the book of Revelation. And so now, Rav Shaul is now appealing to Caesar's judgment because he knows he cannot get justice within the Sanhedrin. Going forward here, now we'll be speaking to Caesar's household. Most, most probably a reference to the civil service of the Roman Empire. During Rav Shaul's imprisonment later in Rome, he sent a greeting to a congregation, the Philippians. And he wrote, from the saints who belonged to Caesar's household, found in Philippians 4.22. Who were these believers? In the New Testament time, one's household included not only his relatives, but also servants living with the family. Caesar's household would extend even further to all those in Rome and in his service. These civil servants who administered the empire. But now in Acts 28.16, it tells us that during Rav Shaul's imprisonment in Rome, when the Philippians was written, the apostle lived in a rented house with a soldier to, the guard, to guard him. Some commentators believe that these, this, these palace guards were actually drawn from the emperor's own elite praetorian guards. And they were the, the saints, the believers of Caesar's household, who had been converted to Messiah as they guarded the apostle. And that is found in Philippians 1.13. Now let us look now at the city of Caesarea. Is a city built on the coastal area of Judea by Herod the Great between the year 22 and 10 before the common era, before Messiah was born. It's a beautiful marble city, just 65 miles from Jerusalem. And it served as Judea's major seaport and as the Roman administrative center. The Roman governor customs collector, and provincial finance officer were all headquartered in Caesarea, along with numerous troops. They often called the city of Caesarea Matigma, or Caesarea of the Sea, to distinguish it from the inland Caesarea of Philippi. So there are two Caesareas. So going forward here, Caesarea Philippi is in the north, and from other cities in the empire named in honor of Augustus Caesar. Five major roads lead to Caesarea that include the great sea coastal trade routes between Tyre and Egypt, and the fields on the plains surrounding it were famous for their fertility. At this present time, 
when Rav Shaul was being imprisoned for those two years, there were 50,000 people that lived there from the years of 40 and 50. Fresh water was supplied to the city by a six-mile-long tunnel cut through the rock of Mount Carmel going forward. This to channel the water from, under the, from the underground springs. The water was carried another six and a half miles by an aqueduct constructed along the shore. The most stunning achievement at Caesarea Martima was the construction of a sheltered harbor. Herod's own engineers built a circular breakwater of huge stones, each measuring 50 by 18 by 9 feet. The breakwater, some 200 feet wide, on the south was laid in water as much as 140 feet deep. Not only this man-made harbor uh, was large and as famous as the Priest Harbor of ancient Athens, but the engineers also built channels that permitted them to flush out the harbor, thus keeping it from silting up with debris. The book of Acts records a number of events occurring in Caesarea. Cornelius, an officer in the cohort of Roman, Rome, Roman citizens was stationed there and became the first Gentile to respond and receive Yeshua as his Messiah. Where is that found? But in Acts chapter 10. Philip the Evangelist, one of the Jerusalem's congregation's first deacons, later settled in Caesarea. Where is that recorded? But in Acts 21.8. And now Rav Shaul has been sent to Caesarea from Jerusalem. In protective custody, he spent two whole years there imprisoned before he appealed to Caesar's higher court and was sent to Rome. This is recorded from Acts 23.23 through 25.12, where we find ourselves today in the scripture. After the New Testament error, Caesarea remained an important city. A famous rabbinical academy was established there in the year 250, and it was home to, to different individuals that we may be familiar with, Origen and Eusebius. Caesarea was taken by the Muslims, conquerors, in the year 641, and it was destroyed at that time. So that's to give you just a little basic history about Caesarea and the Caesars and the power that they wielded that was going on there. So now as we get now a little bit deeper in the scripture here, it says this in verse 1. Three days after Festus had entered the providence, he went up to Caesarea to Jerusalem. So Festus had just arrived. He was just taking over the placement of Felix because Felix had been disposed. The scripture doesn't give us all the details why he was removed. And for this to take place, he had to do something that was displeasing to the emperor who ruled from Rome. And so here we have a transition. And so when the, the, the high priest... And the, the Judean leaders, 
They think, oh, this is a new leader. He doesn't know all our history. He's gullible. Let's play him. Let's manipulate him now so that we can, we can convince him to show us a favor. Because Festus, in most cases, because he's new to this role, as he knew that, that Felix was disposed, that if he did something that was displeasing to the high priest and to the uh, leaders of Judea, if he did that, he could also be disposed. He could be sent uh, out to another uh, part of Rome to be, to be uh, placed in a very, very backwaters place. But as I shared with you, the setting of Caesarea. I mean, he was 65 miles from having to deal with all the, the, the things that were going on in Jerusalem. The different rebellions that were going on. Because the Jewish people did not roam to continue to oppress them. They were constantly looking for opportunities so that they could be broken from the yoke of the Roman oppression here. So with this, they thought, well, he's completely unfamiliar with what's going on in Jerusalem. And so they thought, boy, we can really pull the wool over this new guy, this new leader. And if anything comes out, we can, we can speak to the emperor on his behalf. We, we all use blackmail to manipulate this individual. And so that was their aim because they wanted the true testimony of Yeshua raising from the dead and being alive at the right hand of the Father to be fully wiped out. Because Rav Shaul did not even give, not just give testimony to it, but he was a living, breathing testimony of a Jew who formerly had a veil over his eyes that was persecuting the Messianic believers and the Gentiles who were grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel. He was a living witness because he was once like them himself. So by all means, they had to snuff out this man's life. Otherwise, they would lose their place among the people. And most of the Sadducees were manipulators. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in angels. And so this was part of the group that was truly pressing the high priest to kill the testimony, the living, breathing light that was being manifested through Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul. So now as we go to verse number two. So there the head koinim and the Judean leaders informed him of the case against Shaul. They asked to do them a favor of having the man sent to Jerusalem, Because what was their, their plan? Just like it is the plans that they had schemed behind they were being used as pawns, as Hasatan, to, do, to put out and destroy the testimony, the living testimony of Yeshua. 
Has that changed from that time till today? No. What does Hasatan, the devil, want to do? He wants to destroy our living, breathing testimony. That Yeshua died on the tree. He rose from the dead after three days. And he ascended to the Father. And that's the hope and trust that we put in Messiah. That just as he promised that he will come and return one day for those who have received him. We look forward to that day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So going forward here. The Judean leaders did not make a demand. But made use of the opportunity now to ingratiate themselves with Festus. By giving him the pleasure of granting an opportunity. An apparently minor harmless request. They, the head koinim, and the sum of the Judean leaders counted on this Festus' own gullibility and his ignorance of the reason why Shaul had been sent down from Jerusalem in the first place, namely because of the plot, unlike the one that was described here, which was tried earlier. They hoped Festus would send Shaul with a small guard that could be easily overcome. So going back to verse number four. But Festus proved to be a man of cunning. Someone that was not the very first appointment, most likely, in his life. Because even to gain the trust of the emperor and Rome to keep peace, Roman peace, it's not the peace that Messiah gives through their army, through their oppression, through their taxes. That Festus was trusted by the emperor of Rome to keep the peace at all costs because namely his own head would be on the chopping block if he did not keep the peace in Jerusalem. So this Festus was showing Wisdom and understanding in this, although he did not know the Lord. And there are times in our lives when we wonder, well, God, why did that man or why did that woman come to such a power and to be authority over my life? I'm speaking from a political perspective. Is it not God who ordains, who rises, and who's removed? That we know this, that we can put our trust and God himself who sits upon the throne of our hearts. He give us the leaders according to fulfillment of his prophecy. So I say to this to you, my brothers and sisters, do you think that this earth is our eternal home? Are you looking for a city whose foundations have been built by God? You know this? As we go through the book of Revelation, as we learn about all these things, yes, there will be a, a millennial reign upon this earth when Messiah comes back, but that's only going to last a thousand years. Then he will destroy both the heavens and the earth. I'm not talking about the heavens where God dwells. I'm talking about the earth and the atmosphere above it. He will remove the planets and the stars. And there will only be heaven, the new Jerusalem. 
He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And he'll do that all by his fire. His righteous, holy justice. Blessed be the name of the Lord.